It's time to stop reimagining things and actually start changing them. Tune in to Recalibrate with Samsung, where we'll discuss how technology is changing the way we work, connect, and live our lives. On today's episode of Recalibrate, we welcome Keith Fuentes and Mark Irwin with Samsung Knox, as well as Reed S. Stryker with Samsung B2B Marketing, to join a panel on the impact of digital transformation and how it's affected every industry in a unique way, from data points in retail to wearables in healthcare. Now here's your host, Jason Claybrook. Holy new day. Totally new day. New uniform. Yep. Uh, new number three in the seat. Mark Irwin from Samsung, joined by Keith again, Reed, and myself. Hello. Myself. Cheers. Proper name. So, what do we want to talk about today? Security, cryptology, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Game of Thrones again. <laughs> so, other topics we could discuss digital transformation, politics. We have a neat launch on the digital transformation that I think is kind of unique. So I do a lot of public speaking, and when I go out and I ask or I give presentations, I get asked by the media sometimes, what is something different happening now than, say, five, ten years ago? Can you give us something um, from a C-level, the CIO, CISO, CEO? <coughs> and I've been in software sales for over 20 years, and in the beginning when you went to go sell a software solution, and mainly security for the last 15 to 19, and uh, when you go and sell software security and you go into – to pitch this, you usually get stuck in these trials, evaluations, and these pilots. 10, 15 years ago, the reason, was, the reason was mainly because leadership was afraid to implement. If you implemented and it failed, right. you lose your job. So they did analysis by paralysis, evaluation, testing, and sometimes they justified their job by being an evaluation. Right. Because that meant I'm still getting paid. This is what they call pilot purgatory. Correct. That's exactly. The, that's, that's a real thing that people get stuck in. And 15, 20 years ago, that was the hardest thing as a software salesperson you had to deal with was how could you get them to take that next step? I would tell you my personal opinion in the last few years, it's completely changed. Today, the executives get terminated for what they don't implement. Hmm. So the ones that take their time and are slow usually get lapped or passed. And, and the perfect example is that is if you were a taxi cab company, you got put out by a company that didn't own a single car right. because they built an app. So, I mean, if you harness digital transformation or the technology and you implement faster, you can take your market to the next level or own the market. And the final thing I'll say of that, if you meet someone who is a self-made billionaire, for example, or has done things to build something great, if you ask them, most of them in honesty will tell you that they failed more than they succeeded in life. Mm. If they were a baseball hitter, they'd have been let go because they probably batted 100, not 1,000. They bat, you know, 123. But the one time they hit, it was such a mega hit. Right. It made them so much money that everybody wants to hear how they did it. This is what's happening, I think, in the market today is people are taking more risk people, and the risk of at least implementation, trying new technology, because if that one hits, it's unbelievable. Well, it's like the digital transformation is interesting because it's like we see this a lot in like transportation companies. Like we've talked about that a couple of times, even in healthcare, where it's like people are taking the approach of I am a technologist. I just happen to be in healthcare or I just happen to be in transportation. But first and foremost, I'm a technology company. And I just happen to be in this industry. Same thing with like hospitality, same thing with retail. And I think if, if companies are taking that approach, 
it's a, it's a very unique spin on things because you're not focused on what's worked in the past. You're focused on what's going to work in the future. And I think it's a huge, it's a huge deal. Yep. And, and we, we have a customer that is a perfect example of this in an industry you wouldn't even think of. Take restaurants. I know you uh, have been in the culinary before, so let's take, take this down this path. We had a place in Ohio that came to us and said that they were looking to digitally transform. So you ask them first and foremost, what are you in business for? Well, they're in business to turn a profit. What is the most profitable thing you sell? Well, we don't sell, uh, it could be liquor, but the real thing is dessert. Mm. How often do you sell dessert at the table? Not that often. Why not? Because it takes so long for the customer to make their order, the waiter, waitress to get them the order. Sometimes the orders are stacked up and we find if they take longer to eat, they become full mm. and they don't order dessert. So if you could speed the time in which you provide the food, prepare the food, understand the food they want to order, and get them through the meal portion, your odds of selling dessert go up, and that has your biggest margins. Mm. So they implemented a wearable solution to the wait staff, and they implemented a solution where they could actually be pinged when their orders were up, when they were ready, where they went to, so they could be more efficient at getting the food out. And what ended up happening was by pushing the food faster, more desserts got bought and profits went up. So you could see a digital transformation even in the restaurant business, which you wouldn't come yeah. first to mind when you're thinking about this, as ways you could do it. There's ways to – implementing uh, efficiencies, uh, there's so many ways to do it. And I think a lot of times people think it's like the way we've always done it. And so why change it? But there's so many ways that we can implement those types of changes. Wearables are just one of those. Yep, uh, one of those just ways. one example. Absolutely. So spitball for a minute and think with what's coming from a networking perspective. <clears throat> Is you're, you're doing those wearables either over Wi-Fi or right. LTE connection. Now we're moving into a world with 5G mm. or even with CBRS and private LTE networks where you're going to have bigger bandwidth, more things connected. What's the next step for a restaurant to drive efficiencies or take any other? Think about integrating well. into Uber Eats or into Postmates or putting into all these other companies that are now getting themselves involved in the delivery of food. Imagine if you had the ability through wearable device into an ecosystem of other devices and mechanisms. This isn't what I'm saying is available today or being used today, but it could. The technology is there where you could actually say it's not just good enough to sell your restaurant's food and business at the restaurant. Maybe you want to expand that and put it somewhere where you can reach a bigger scenario, especially in corporate where people are always looking for when do we go to lunch, where do we go to lunch. And nowadays you never have time for lunch. So imagine if you could start to take those type of delivery functions or other things where people could literally on their phone go into an app and pull, what are you hungry for? What do you want? And everybody's going to have a different opinion and it might be five different restaurants, but it could all be synchronized so that if the person on the fifth floor and the third floor really wanted a burrito and somebody's going to deliver a burrito, there's both their burritos. And so now the burrito restaurant is more efficient because it can push faster, quicker. So once the connectivity is there, once the ability to share data and hopefully securely, you could start to see these ecosystems start to, to exist that maybe weren't tied together in the past. Hmm. And again, it'll come down to speed and efficiency. I would love to see, I would love to see more retail <clears throat> gather more data that's personalized to the individual as far as brick and mortar goes. Because uh, we do this really well online as far as like what you shop. Because anytime you go to a page, if you look at something, all that's tracked. Uh, but we don't necessarily have that same efficiency in, a, in, a, in like a store. And to have somebody being able to walk up, is there anything that's happening uh, regarding the data from somebody's phone where they're walking into a place and like you can identify that person, you can know who they or like what things that th that person likes to shop for, what their taste is maybe, or maybe prepare something for 
their favorite restaurant they're walking up. The, 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 the actual host will know like who's coming to the restaurant. So they'll have that, their favorite table ready maybe. Is that something? <clears throat> exactly. Uh, online they call it the user journey and be able to track that. And they deal with things like cart abandonment. Mm. You know, how do I get people incentivized to not leave things in their cart or even come back a day later and say, by the way, you have these three things in your cart. Do you want to go ahead and purchase? Brick and mortar scenario, having those analytics that are real time that can help you. Hey, it looks like somebody wayfinding is walking out this exit. Mm-hmm. They've been here for 20 minutes, but did we serve them in real time? to actually go and help them make a purchasing decision. Yeah, I feel like it's a huge thing for like the data and regarding digital transformation and where 5G is going and like some of the things you talked about with like private networks, to being able to get that information, a lot of data. If you could imagine being a big box retailer, even down to something small to have uh, that footprint of every person that's been in there and being able to know like, you know, what was attractive to them and what wasn't. I think it's a huge, it's a huge amount of data. And I would imagine that you would have to transmit that over a pretty large pipe. Imagine I saw that. I think it's more continuous than large because that data, it can be small bits of data. In a big retailer where a lot of people are connected, it can add up to a lot of data. But I think the real problem is having a continuous stream of data with minimum rates. And when we talk about networking, a lot of time we talk about these theoretical caps, like we're going to get up to 10, 20 gig on 5G. What I think is a little bit more impressive is having a continuous minimum of 50 meg. Mm-hmm. 50 meg is still a lot of bandwidth. You, could, you can have multiple people streaming TV shows on 50 meg. But having that continuous, mm-hmm. always on, always there, allows you to transmit not only a lot of data, but in real time. I heard this scenario, I think it was New York, where they were wanting to put displays in bus terminal stops and use it to block weather, but also have a digital experience. And they wanted to provide an artificial or setup of internet network, whether, Mm -hmm. and this is going back a few years, it wasn't 5G, but 5G would be great for this. And they knew that they would get the user to accept their terms and condition if the internet speed was fast enough to allow them while waiting for the bus watch videos, do certain things that they would sacrifice Mm -hmm. in order to have that. And one of the things in the written agreement was you gave up the right of if your device was tracking where you shopped, where they could see it. So the screens would start presenting if you had just shopped for sweaters the other day or you happened to be in Ralph Lauren, maybe Ralph Lauren's appearing on the, and the exact sweater you're looking at is showing on the screen. Mm -hmm. Now, it could get crazier if they have cameras and they could actually put you in the sweater in the picture. Now that gets a little freaky, it gets a little scary, but it's the way they could take it to the next level. Retail, think of this. I just saw a video of this new 5G camera that can do measurements. That you can actually take it, look at it, and it gives you the measurement. Builders, great, all that stuff. Think about in retail, if you could walk in the store and it knows your exact size, and it can tell you where your size sits everywhere in the store. And through an AR experience, by holding your phone, you just go to the racks where your size is waiting for you. There's no fumbling through and messing up the whole organization of the, where somebody has to come back and later and clean it. Or you can just go straight to my size is only set in three locations. I'm going straight to those locations, seeing if I like them. They fit. I know my measurements. It knows my measurements. I don't even have to go in the fitting room to try it on. Hmm. And what if I picked up that outfit or shirt or whatever it was, and it already digitally charged me for it when I walk out the store? So I don't even have to go to the teller. If I put it back on the rack, it doesn't charge me. That's a user experience I would love. That would be something that would be quick. I hate shopping. But this would give me in, out, fast. Yeah. And you could tell me right away, don't even walk in there. There's nothing your size. Great. Well, you're a very tall person, so this is I – I don't have this person. Like, I, I have this problem. Like, I would imagine. That's why I have a booster. Nothing ever fits. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. 
You know, one of the things I'm excited about is just large corporations in general. The, the, the corporate user today, they've got some unique uh, challenges around how they do things like routing voice calls and, and, and calls coming in that need to be recorded, whether it's a call center or if it's a regulated industry, uh, FedGov, uh, um, security, uh, anybody covered by SOX or uh, Dodd-Frank, et cetera. I think as 5G starts to evolve and, and uh we can start looking at how we interact from the device back to uh, the customer's infrastructure. A lot of that recording happens with an app on the phone that tells the PBX to call the phone and the PBX is recording the phones and things like that. I think you see the ability to start doing some things directly on the phone and doing the call recording and working with some of the call recording companies out there and pushing this stuff real time back and forth between 5G. Um, there's a huge market for that. I mean, it's a, my group, this is what we focus on. We do a lot of the retail and vertical type applications that we've been talking about here. But the corporate user market itself is massive, and some of the implications there are huge. And a lot of people think that uh, one of the big differences between LTE or 3G, 4G, and the 5G is 5G is custom built for the enterprise. It's going to be a great transformative tool from an IoT perspective, or just really workflows, yeah, enabling AI, enabling machine learning, machine-to-machine communication. We, we talked about um, autonomous driving, and there's going to be vehicle-to-cloud, but there's also vehicle-to-vehicle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the vehicle is to vehicle. underrated in how important that is. We've got vehicles moving in real time and having to send information, especially if you get into the autonomous and navigation and having to make corrections for objects they see. Latency of 5G is going to be so important. Yeah. Solves queuing that we talked about with Simon. What was queuing again? Was I there? Yeah, you were there. Queuing theory. So Simon That's pulled out a study. By the way. I'm like, was I, did I black out? Where was I? <laughs> Rough night. Yeah. What, <laughs> what, was the, what was the queuing theory again? Queuing the ABCs? No. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, a 4G user so, in a 5G world? It's <laughs> 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 a 2G user in a 5G world. Get this is Edge. How's he know I'm at the edge of the... <laughs> queuing, he was talking about traffic and uh, highways. And... That something four miles ahead has this effect. Cause a slinky effect in the traffic. Got you gotta it. go slinky effect. So if you had to you for being my brain. If you, you had <laughs> autonomous, semi autonomous, if you had context from a machine to machine perspective, vehicle to vehicle communications, you could slow down a vehicle to the appropriate speed four miles back of something that happened at the road. Mm-hmm. And eliminate traffic jams. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of modeling that's gone on with that. Yeah, because there's time involved with actually slowing down and stopping again versus just slowing down. You can actually create a clean traffic flow by getting everybody to slow down and not have any buffering. Yeah, it's buffering. It is buffering. Yeah, it's it's traffic. traffic buffering. That's amazing. There you go. Yeah. Just imagine if somebody hacked that. So security is important. Brakes right. on the car. Go faster, smarter, faster. And this is, again, why we, why we, we talk about security. I mean, yeah. if you uh, – I think we always go back to the autonomous car thing because it's probably the most um, – I think it's a probably the most relatable example for, for most – Everybody's been dying for the jets. Right. Well, think about planes. I mean, I've heard something where the typical airline flight records mm-hmm. 8 terabits of data and has to wait till it lands before it sends. And well, They I mean, have a 40-minute turn. Typically, 40 minutes to try to dump. So they don't dump off eight terabits with the networks that are in place at airports right now. Wow. 
But think about when they problems. can. That's my point. Yeah. Is once that technical connectivity comes, think about what they can scale. They'll know what aisles buy more. If when someone sits in this seat, do they do more? If mm. the sun's hitting at this time, do they need air conditioning running there? They can get all sorts of different tidbits of data yeah. to make them more efficient and, and generate revenue in a way they haven't before. Probably be able to uh, spot like when planes need maintenance. Uh, so you're not stuck for like six hours waiting for that. That's a, that's a brutal experience if you've never had it. I look at it just as a flyer on. who flies all the time. Imagine yeah. if it could just help you on the seating. How many times have you sat and somebody said, oh, I want to sit next to so-and-so. You mind switching seats, all this stuff. Right. Imagine if it could have abilities to digitalize all of this and Absolutely. make it more efficient. And mm. I don't know. There's just so much that could happen from the consumer to the owner to the maintenance. Right. I think, I think what's really interesting is watching this whole thing. Having been in this, I lead a group of what I consider some of the best sales engineers in the industry, but... We, we watch as security is evolving and we're moving from 4G to 5G. Those thing, two things together are very technologically advanced things that people can't wrap their heads around. But what we're seeing is a company like ours, we're able to make those things easy for the people that are going to consume them. Hmm. And the people that are really adopting right now are some of the least technologically advanced companies. You look at trucking companies that are having to do things like ELD and to do logging. For What's ELD? Electronic logging for drivers. It's a new mandate. Everybody's okay. got to do it. So they've got to be able to deploy a secure solution to a device. They have to potentially have these devices drop shipped to all these different locations and deployed and not necessarily managed by an IT manager in location. They've got to be connected. They've got to have, you know, as they want to entice more and more drivers because it's a very competitive market and drivers leave and go to other companies and there's a huge demand for drivers. We're seeing that they're using they're, and they're embracing these technologies and they're not the most technologically savvy companies, but we're making it easy for them with combination of security advancements and we're making defense-grade security and the anybody that's walking around with a Samsung device has the defense-grade security in their pocket already. It's just you need to leverage and turn on and, and utilize that function. We make it easy for them. So it's just really interesting to see that some of the most advanced technology is being consumed by the least technologically savvy companies. What's the, uh, from a mobile device perspective, what's the most common security threat that, you know, it's, we, networks transforming, we get all that, but there's still, there's there's vulnerabilities. All the popular ones, the ones you'll see in Hollywood and on TV, of course, you got to worry about somebody on the network. If you go into a, where your Wi-Fi router is becoming more and more powerful, more and more capable, you got to worry about when data is leaving or being transmitted from the device. The one that usually is most overlooked is the smaller the form factor gets, the more easier it will be to be lost, stolen, misplaced, or someone else could, could physically gain access to it. So that's one piece of the security I think that gets overlooked the most. Social and, engineering is probably the second piece. And, and so yeah, and social engineering is definitely a, is a piece to worry about. Where I was With heading to from the physical threat is, is that these devices know so much about you. They know so much about your company. Yes, you have to worry about what they can do on the network. But more importantly, you have to worry about if somebody could mimic clone. So you could put the best VPN firewall, all that stuff you have. But if I can clone you and impersonate you, I'm going to use those tools to do everything I want to do wrong. You're just going to take all the blame because I'm coming in as you. So physical intrusion, if I'm able to spoof your phone just from distance or you go to use the bathroom and you leave it on the table and I do something to it, you, if you don't know I'm there and I'm tracking this information and I'm taking your credentials and they're all digital, I don't care if it's biometric or not, they're all ones and zeros. So if I can morph the language, the coding of it, and spoof what you're doing or become you, 
then I'll use security you're using against you. So you've got to pick a security that takes not just the digital fear, but the physical fear as well. Would you say the, the would you say it's a fair statement to say the hardest thing to protect a device from today is the user? Well, yeah, the user error is always going to be a but problem, and it's not always it's it. not always purpose too. It can be by accident. Go into social engineering a bit. So people shoulder surfing, watching you putting your passwords, things of that nature. People asking you information, just a piece at a time over time, getting enough information about you to to maybe be able to reset your passwords because they've learned enough about your birthday. That's why you should never answer the, what are these two things about you nobody knew on Facebook? Yeah, you just, you you really need to be careful about the information you're putting out there. And it's all end, this is all end user. Phishing is still a a factor of the end user's activity. I just got an email today saying that my account activity was um, uh, suspicious, that I should reset it. And I went to look at the handle email handle that it came from, from a, a registered business account that I have. Totally fake. How many get those calls? Your social security number. There's Even another How one. many get your IRS is going to arrest you? Yeah. And all this craziness. Now think of the person who hears that and thinks it's real. Right. There's, calls that number. There's, there's one that's happening currently. Uh, and this actually, people really actually do need to be aware of this. It's a, it's a, it's a phone call thing. You'll get like a phone call from somebody from a quote unquote Microsoft support desk saying that you are, yep. you have a, a virus on your computer. And they'll actually walk you over to TeamViewer to let you log into their account. And they'll like spoof your, they'll take a command window and basically enter in some code to have a bunch of things like run up. Drop in malware. It drops in like, uh, it makes it basically look like the computer's scanning for something. And at the end, of course, it finds a virus. And then they ask you for X amount of dollars to charge for it. And it's only, it's like, you know, it's like petty crimes because it's like, you know, 150 bucks. But a lot of people are getting taken for 150 bucks over this. So the end user thinks for sure it's a big deal. And that doesn't really have anything to do with security on our on our Android devices, so it's a kind of a side sideline. But but it's an example. I it's mean, an it's example an example of, uh, of the threats that are out there. Right. There's digital. There's, there's physical. Physical yeah. is the one that gets overlooked the most. So when people pick a security solution, they'll say, "Oh, I have this device. It's safe because the OS provider tells me it is." Right. Great. What's the OS provider in business for? Are they in business to secure you, track your data? What's their real business model? And by the way, OS is operating systems sit at one of the most insecure levels you could possibly be at. That's why a TPM chip was built for the laptop. Mm. They could not trust the OS, not that the OS manufacturer is doing anything evil. It's just not their business. Mm. So if you could start it at a lower level, no one could get to your device from a physical intrusion and then clone you or mimic you or plant code at that level. Now, virtually, attacks will try to plant code as low as they can get on the device. If they can get below the operating system and plant code, the operating system won't know they exist. Right. This is, except this is, on our devices. Right. I was yeah, going to say, this, our, oh, okay. this goes I, into that layering from the Knox perspective of like, was it Tima? And the, the, yes. you can walk through all that, right? The, the, yeah. The, I, I, I give a basement analogy. There's, there's podcasts and videos on this as well. There's little animations. It's really that when you're picking out a mobile device, phone, tablet, watch, mm-hmm. washer dryer that has internet, sure. refrigerator, it's like you're buying a home. And uh, I was sitting next to a gentleman who had a non-Samsung device, and we got into this argument about security, and I used my biometric to show how secure I was. Then he showed his biometric, and I was like, i got to figure out a way to give him this analogy. So I said to him, hey, when you bought your device, you bought a two-story house. I bought a two-story house. Mm-hmm. Would, could you imagine if you lived in your two-story house for six months? And the reason I call it a two-story house is because there's different rooms in this device, like in your house. One might be where I do my business for work. And it's got its own separate locks on the door to get into it. So I feel really safe. And that's where I do my emailing and maybe my business uh, teleconferencing and so forth. There's another area on the device, which we'll call the living room, where I watch my Netflix, 
Then there's the kitchen where maybe I'm watching a Hulu video on how to cook recipe YouTube. And then there's the upstairs bedroom where I do all my social networking and that's my private to me. And I feel so safe in this two-story house because my windows are locked down, my door is locked down, and we both have the same two-story house. It's beautiful. The difference is in mine, we will tell you there's a basement. In yours, you had no idea there was a basement. It wasn't in the design specs. They don't talk about it. They sure as hell don't certify it. And you have a basement. All of us do. Mm. All these devices do. In a basement, I'm from Chicago, so I talk basements. If you're in California, I apologize. Yeah. The, all your plumbing, all your electricity, all your ventilation goes into the basement before it goes out. So somebody sitting in your basement can hear everything you're doing, have control of stuff you're doing, shut your power off. Mm. They could put gas in the vents, knock you out. They could do whatever they want from the basement. They're dangerous. You don't want anybody in your basement. Now imagine you moved into a two-story house that isn't supposed to have a basement. You weren't told it had a basement. It's not in the design specs. Oh, it has a basement. And you just don't know how many people are sitting down there because you have no access to it. Squatters. So that's exactly <laughs> the worst. Squatters. So my point is, is that that's yeah, the, the story yeah. I tell is that when you're picking security, you got to look at the network security. you got to look at the physical security. And you got to understand that they're going to come with a basement, pick something that actually will tell you there's a basement, certifies they secure the basement at foundation of pouring the basement, puts in the security, puts in the monitoring mm. real time because there's no perfect security. But if you have security that can actually alert you, notify you and take action – that's better than not knowing. Real because I, I always, I used to joke. I, I met with the Chicago Sun Times eight years ago, and they were telling, they were asking me a question about technology, and the guy was not into technology at all. I walked in, and he he started the conversation with, "They gave me this article to write because you're a new up and coming startup company in the Chicagoland area, but I really don't want to be here because I don't understand technology." But I looked around his office. It's a great start to an interview. I, I know. I was thinking, and this is this is going to be in print, right? Where's coffee. And, and actually, this was ten years ago. So I, I walked in there. I looked around his room, and he had all this historical stuff on shelves of different wars, different combats. And he had these samurai over here and all stuff. that You could tell he put a lot of time and energy into building what he had. So I looked at him, and I said, well, I think you should look at it differently. I think you should look at it in what you like. So it looks like you're a history buff. And it looks like you like different genres of war and things like that. I said, could you imagine the samurai in the late 1800s when they got introduced to a rifle? When a five-year-old could put down the best swordsman you ever had, here was the guy that protected you for thousands of years. You felt safe because you had the samurai. But in one day, he's obsolete, and he's going to get taken down by a three-year-old with a rifle, five-year-old. Now, he's, now he's three. Yeah, said, whatever. When he can pull a trigger, he's down. Right. And they so found this out. encouraging kids. No. No. Well, this, just, is a, but, this is the part where we talk about gun safety kids. Yes, Keep please. Locked the, up. This, no, this story is to show that if you rely on something that was amazing at a time, but you don't keep up with it. Right. My end to the story to him was... It's not that you're bleeding. It's not that you're about to get stabbed, barked, bit, whatever. It's that you're already wounded and probably bleeding. You just don't know it. It's just the time you fall down and die because your security was lax. Speaking of falling down and dying, I think that was your. <laughs> good. So again, when you ask about the security for me, yeah. it's it's evolving. It's changing always, yeah. and you've got to pick one that has a foundational piece or a platform that can evolve with you, that can plug into an ecosystem play, that. Does, everybody says, I need the best security. You need the best security for you. Because if you're in the enterprise, there's some type of complexity or tweak that you're going to customize for you. And you need the security that will follow you in that transformation or that customization and keep the security present however you evolve it and whoever you bring into that ecosystem. Makes sense. This is only part one of our conversation on digital transformation. Stay tuned for Recalibrate's part two next week. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Recalibrate. For previous and upcoming episodes, or for more of our content, you can head to samsung-networks.com, or you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.